DJ and PK brought to you in part by Christian Roberts Mortgage. If you're going to work with an expert for your next home loan, you need to connect with the most referred lender in Utah. Christian Roberts Mortgage, they specialize in jumbo loans. So college football isn't quite here yet. Well, I can taste it, though. I know. How far, how long till the Pac-12 media day? Three weeks? 29 days. 29 days. (laughs) Had the BYU media day. Pac-12's coming. So it's time for a little list website. It's kind of like list radio, but it's a little different, but you get it. So the Athletic, three of their writers combining to rank the Pac-12's 40 coaching hires since 2000. And you always say, hey, don't, don't get locked in on a coaching hire, college or pro, football, basketball, whatever. You never really know. You don't. And they list the 40 from best to worst, and number one... And it's not close. Pete Carroll. You got to say, and it's not even even close. close. You got to sell it. Went 62 and 14 in conference games. Yeah. No question he cheated the best. They were 10 and 14 before he got there. And they went 62 and 14 while he was there. Phenomenal run, man. Carroll wasn't USC's first choice, and he's the best hire, and they wouldn't have hired him if someone else had said yes. Uh, did they go after, uh, let's see, I think Mike Riley was there, Dennis Erickson, mm-hmm. and how about, was Chris Peterson, was he considered at that time? I don't think so. I think that not, was not before he early. took off. Yeah, it was okay. too early. Yeah, not at that time. Okay. Carroll comes in and averages 11 wins a season. Hard to argue with his success, for yeah. sure. The number two... That'd be Jim Harbaugh, yeah. I thought Harbaugh, yes, but they put Chip Kelly at Oregon. 46-7 and seven and 33-3 and three in the conference. That well, they, is well, they were four spectacular years. And both of those programs had issues. There were glimpses during Chip Kelly's two years as offensive coordinator what was coming, but nobody could have expected that success. 2010, undefeated, going to the national title game, and they lost to Auburn. Marcus Mariota time? So close. Harbaugh, who doesn't have the, the numbers because he was turning a bad program around, so his, his stats don't look as good on the surface, right, but that's where he, he brought them from to where he brought them to. And Chip Kelly was elevated and kept it going. Yes, Coming off its worst season in four decades, Stanford was in a dark place. And after a two-week search, Bob Bowlesby, the athletic director, picked Harbaugh, who'd been at a non-scholarship program at the University of San Diego and had gone 29-6. Yeah, Ed Lamb was on that staff, if I remember correctly. And Mortensen, BYU transfer, kid out of Tempe, uh, went down there. Mortensen? Yep. Yeah, being a quarterback. After winning four games, then five, then eight, he took him to an 11 and one season. They beat Virginia Tech in the Orange Bowl. And four days later, he was off to the NFL, and he was the 49ers head coach. That was a great, great hire. Who was the guy who went from Pittsburgh to Stanford? I'd put him Walt Harris. Is that was his name? Yeah. I'd put him down at the bottom. We'll get to the bottom of the list. Uh, well, it's just everybody at the U of A. <laughs> the UFA does well at the bottom of the list, but there are other people at the bottom of the list. Deservedly so. Paul Wolf. 
He's near the bottom. Good call. Uh, rounding out the top five, you got anybody else? This is your conference. You got other coaches you've loved, other coaches. Man, you're going back 20 years, though. And I'm going I'm to think uh, recently. I think these were... Uh, Dan Hawkins. These were... No. These were solid years being funny at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did he they was do in Colorado you? in the Big 12 era. So he doesn't count. Okay. It's like Kyle doesn't count. They said at the start of this story, you know... But yet they sorry, induct Kyle. these players into the yep. conference but we don't, of fame. But we don't no, like it. I, we don't, we no sense. Sense. Keith Van Horn is the... Wait a minute. <laughs> he didn't play a second in the pack. Louis Sakota is the yeah. Yeah. Honoring well, Lavelle Edwards by the West Coast Conference is got to be one of the dumbest things that I've... It's right there with telling me all the BYU games are going to be on at 9 o'clock Eastern. Okay, but these guys who are 4 and 5... One conference champions, championships. They are guys who've earned their spot. They put Shaw four and Chris Peterson five. Can't argue with the runs they've had. And and Shaw Shaw got to continue it. Mm -hmm. Chris Peterson had to build it. Now, when he took over, it wasn't as bad as who succeeded. Was it Sarkeesian? Who succeeded uh, Willingham? And they were zero and 12. Sark. Yeah, so I put a little more into building as opposed to Sarkeesian uh, keeping was tied, an engine going. They had Sarkeesian tied for 13th for the turnaround job at Washington. Yeah, because they he, never, he never had big seasons. They acknowledge it was in a bad, bad I was literally spot. in the worst. Yeah. that Probably in the program history, I would think. Yeah, going 0-12. Got yeah. Ty Willingham tied for 39th. They tied him for last. They didn't have a 39 and 40. They had two guys tied at 39. And the other one was a guy that Yach already mentioned, Paul Wolf at Washington State, who had a great quote. I don't remember this quote, but it's a great quote. Said Wolf after the firing, the great thing about Washington State University and being a Cougar is we don't do it like everybody else. We stick together and don't eat our own. I believe the innocence of WSU has been lost today. <laughs> don't fire me. Yeah, I don't know if they had any innocence. Nine wins and 40 losses. I don't know that anybody has any innocence at the he, D1 level. He won four conference games in four years on the job. So that's why they buried him at the bottom. Where do they go with Erickson? Because at Oregon State, he was pretty good. Uh, Erickson, they, they rank uh, coaches separate time. Like Chip Kelly um, was 20, is 29 for his time at UCLA. Sure, but that thing isn't done yet. Maybe right. it'll get worse. Maybe maybe it gets better. It's Erickson's like, twenty two for his time at ASU. Well, that's the the great thing about the Sun Devils mm-hmm. is no matter what list you have, they're they, in the middle. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Todd Graham tied for thirteenth. They they that's pretty good for Graham. They're never really bad. But, but they're, they're rarely, rarely really, really good. <laughs> I can't say never. I would say rarely. But almost, almost, I can say never really, really bad, but rarely, really good. So they're top 10, and they don't put Kyle in this because he was a Mountain West hire. He wasn't a Pac-12 hire. So they don't put him in the list. But they got Pete Carroll 1, Chip Kelly 2. Jim Harbaugh and David Shaw at Stanford, 3-4. They acknowledge Stanford's been a really hard place to win, and these two guys have done good work. 
Uh, Chris Peterson is five. The next five is Mario Cristobal, and they acknowledge, you know, so far it's been a home run, but he's barely getting started, but they put him at six. Obviously, you get two or three years down the road, depending on what he does, they could be re-ranking that. They put Leach seven at Washington State uh, for turning around after what happened with Wolf, who's down at the bottom. Tedford, and do your recency bias, do you forget how good Tedford had Cal in the mid-2000s? They had a year they, they tied USC for the conference title. They beat them in a triple OT game when SC was loaded. Mike Riley at Oregon State, number nine, and Mark Helfrich at Oregon, 10. Helfrich, 10? 13-2, Pac-12 champ, Rose Bowl champ, title game appearance. 4-8. Yeah, but it fell Toward apart. the end, the bad became far more memorable than the good for Chip Kelly's replacement. There was the blown 31-point halftime lead against TCU in the Alamo Bowl. The 70-spot Washington dropped on the Ducks at Autzen Stadium. But he did coach Oregon to a Rose Bowl win in the inaugural college football championship game. So here are their choices when they rank him 10. If they want to drop him lower, do they elevate Clay Helton, who's 11? Jim Mora at UCLA, who's 12? Todd Graham at ASU, who's tied for 13 with Sarkeesian at Washington? And Rich Rod at 15 at Arizona, who did win the division before it all fell apart? It didn't fall apart. He fell apart. (laughs) Okay. I don't think the program fell apart. Especially he, compared to what has happened since. He had a 3-9, and nine, but he had two seven-win seasons on, on either side. So I guess I was counting the 3-9 and nine as falling apart. But to your point, oh, it got worse. Oh, yes, it did. The program. Yes. Yeah. After him, bad hire. What are you, Joe Biden with the whispering here? Bad hire. <laughs> I lean in and I whisper. <laughs> You know, all men are created. You know, you know, the thing. (laughs) Herm Edwards, 17. ASU, middle of the list. 13, 17, and 22. Yeah, he's 15 and 13 in D1. And then they're going to get 11 and 11 in conference. They're going to get put on probation. And so instead of going 7 and 5, they're going to go 5 and 7. Whoop de doo. Oh, also another ASU guy, Dirk Cutter, right at 20. So 13, 17, 20, and 22. Problem with Cutter is he made a lot of enemies. He wasn't a likable dude from what I understand in that in the area. And if you don't win big, you better be way likable. He went 2-19 and 19 against ranked opponents and 0-12. Oh and 12. 0-12 oh, in conference games in California. Yeah, it was SC at the time. USC, UCLA, Cal, and Stanford. They had a go- well, I know who the other three Right, are. but it's not all on SC going 0-12. I mean, you could have won at UCLA, Cal, or Stanford. I was talking about the ranked. Hmm. Okay, yeah, the 2-19 against ranked. He was there six years, so that explains six losses. But that's 2-13 and against the rest of the ranked teams. Sure, he sucked. He got fired. Yeah. <laughs> so, there you go. I mean... <laughs> If you are going to coach there, you're going to coach in the desert, you're likely going to get fired. I mean, every coach since John Cooper in like 87 has been fired. And there it is. (laughs) That's what I I didn't understand all the ripping of Herm. Okay, he's going to get fired. I've been seeing this story for 40 friggin' years. Now it's going to change? Probably not. 
So Kevin Sumlin was tied for 34th. There are actually people who did worse than Kevin Sumlin at the University of Arizona. 6-17 and 17 in three seasons. Well, he's leaving with, uh, what, a 12, 13-game losing streak? Yeah. It's hard for me to imagine that there would be much worse. And you, you lost your – when these – I mean, these two programs don't have a lot going for them. So in that respect, the rivalry game – is elevated even more because it's rarely on a national stage, if ever. I mean, maybe in the 70s. Uh, but can you think of coaches that you would rank below Kevin Sumlin? We followed the league for 20 years. Some of them we've, we've mentioned here, Paul Wolf and Tyrone Willingham. Willingham tied for the bottom because he went 0-12 at Washington, who's got some advantages. <clears throat> No, I don't think they anybody. got history, if, tradition, if, if facilities. Strictly on of performance, that seventy to seven is as bad as it gets, and, and that's why I'm saying that rivalry game because well, they're not playing for anything. Usually, it takes on added importance locally, not yeah. not beyond, not even regionally. It has to be strictly locally. It would be like when BYU and Utah, if they played each other at the end of the season, both were five and six. I mean, more often than not, that's what you've got between the U of A and ASU. You've got two teams playing out the season. So because of that, there's very little implication beyond the game itself. So I believe because of that, that takes that literal game takes on more importance because it's all it, it's basically all you got. You got nothing else to brag about this yeah. season. At least we kept the rivalry. You're not looking to increase your bowl. Uh, positioning, yeah. you're not looking... You're sitting on five, six, seven wins. Yeah. There's no ranking at stake. There's right. no division title or conference championship at stake. Right. It's bragging rights. And maybe bowl eligibility. And I think because of that, it increases the level of importance of the game within the state. Nowhere else, yeah. but within the state. The teams, the uh, the hires that were uh, worse than Kevin Sumlin in Arizona, you mentioned one of them, Walt Harris at Stanford. Buddy Tevens at Stanford, who I didn't even remember. Gary Anderson at Oregon State. John Embry at Colorado. And then Paul Wolf and Tyler And they pulled Willingham. a plug on Embry so early. 4-21 and 21 in two seasons. Yeah, he, he had one road win, and it was uh, the Utes that yep. uh, end of the first season, right? It was like Friday. It's like a day game, at, uh, if I remember correctly, at Rice-Eccles. Yep. Utes trying to win that, get to second place. With SC on probation in first place, I would have sent them to the conference title game. Instead, it was UCLA, and they got drilled. Yeah, I don't think the Utes would have been in a position to compete in that, but for your first year, that would have been Just nice. would have helped recruiting. Hey, look at us. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't a devastating blow. I mean, they're, nope. they're competing and competing just fine right now. Excited for their opportunities with Charlie B., so there's a list of, uh, of hires. Any of them you think should have obviously been good or obviously been bad? Going into it? Yeah. I guess well, looking back, you can say, oh, Pete Carroll, NFL guy, a lot of no, enthusiasm. not to that level. But the college to NFL jump and the NFL to college jump? I think guys who succeeded, like David Shaw and Chip Kelly at Oregon, that, that's why I'm surprised Helfridge it got away from him because Oregon's spending whatever it takes mm-hmm. and you know doing they're they're fudging the rules. I, 
as much as I dislike Oregon, they fudge the rules. I mean, if if we penalize what everybody's doing wrong, it, that's all you'd be doing. Yep, you'd be nonstop. So I really don't get caught up in that as long as it's not over the top academic fraud. What that's, about over the top paying players? They're already doing that. I, was say North I know Car- North so, Carolina got with the ac- academic fraud, right? A- Carolina, academic yeah. fraud, I think, is the one thing. The paying of the players. Like the Reggie Bush thing, I barely even batted an eyelash. I, I didn't bat an eye. That that wasn't that wasn't the school. That was the agent. Aware of it, I, institutional control. That's different than the school. That's if, different if, than if, Oregon if hiring. You want to draw the Oregon line. paying a guy to go get a player though. So you hammer that. There's like that's one percent. So fine, it was the. But agent. that's what they hammered him for. It doesn't mean that they're just because they didn't get hammered for it. Doesn't mean there weren't. I've been telling you for years. These top guys have been getting money, and it's accelerating. It's it's no and it's no surprise to me. So I don't even think twice about it. And don't think your program is a hundred percent clean. You're kidding yourself if you think that San Diego State is one hundred percent clean. Whatever. I didn't. <laughs> no. They've so, been busted before. So the Chip Kelly thing, just don't don't slap me in the face about it, you know? Don't insult my intelligence. And Chip Kelly thought, oh, well, the guy's name was Willie Lyles, and you called him Will, or he was... Oh, stop it. You know, verse, vice versa. Yeah, just... I expect that. To me, this is what's going on. And get... get and a lot of these play, kids, they you know, come from impoverished backgrounds. I'd have my hand out, too. Who might be judging them? For, for doing that. So I don't really get caught up in that. So I'm surprised that Helfridge didn't keep it going. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The Clippers, big playoff win. They keep their season alive. They're down three games to two to the Suns. And Paul George is the hero. 41 points, 13 boards. His college coach, our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, joins us next. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk with our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret, Utah's in an extreme drought currently. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. I am curious about your emotion. I think a lot of fans, now that the Jazz are out of the playoffs, can watch an NBA game, or at least part of an NBA playoff game, and not really root that hard one way or another, just kind of watch the game. But I imagine you watching the Clippers play. You coached Paul George in college. You know he's had games that are hard to explain, and he's taking a lot of heat for him because he's underperformed. And that's, you know, those are facts and part of history. And then you come on the radio and you don't want to light your guy up. And I totally get that. But what are you thinking when you turn on a game and it's an elimination game and they're on the road and he's just 
crushing it, playing one of his best games, shooting 75% from the floor and never blinking. I guess the best way to start this off would be to say that when you have a player that you're close to, it's kind of like having your kid play. I mean, it's kind of like I, don't, I do not get nervous or anxious about watching games regardless of who's playing. I mean, it, it, it just won't. But when it's an individual that you're connected to, uh, it, it's, it can be painful. And uh, so when things don't go well and I'm looking at this series and I'm thinking, okay, this, this could easily be Clippers up 3-1 <laughs> without Kawhi Leonard. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a couple of missed free throws. It's a turnover here. And obviously Paul's going to be involved in the mix no matter what because – He's playing, he's logging, you know, 43, 44, 45 minutes a game. And so when you play those kinds of minutes, you're more prone to make mistakes. And he's made some mistakes. But last night, uh, I was driving from, uh, from Clovis, California to, to Vegas. I'm on my way to Utah to go see my family. It was one of my sons in Provo. And, uh, I mean, I'm a nervous wreck listening to the thing on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, uh, it was it was fun because we got to the hotel and I got to actually see the last quarter and a half in person. But you know what? I was so happy for him. And uh, you know, he, I, I will tell you this: the the fatigue factor for him when he's made his biggest blunders and made mistakes and struggled. Uh, I I really believe part of it is, uh, and everybody's gonna have a different opinion. But man, he looks gassed and he, he's tired. And as they all are, because they're playing five, six, seven guys a game. They're not playing a lot. You know, they're not playing many guys because they don't have them. But last night, man, I felt so good. I mean, I felt like you know one of my children did real well in a in a choir. Pro, you know, and they were in the choir, or they were in a play, or they were in, in a ball game. I mean, it, it was good. And uh, I slept better last night, uh, knowing that they, that was a huge win. I mean, there was no one on the planet. I thought the Clippers were going to. Win. I mean, there's no one unless it was related. Somebody had was related to a player. Uh, it wasn't happening, and so uh, that was a huge win. But <clears throat> there's a lot more basketball still to be played. Uh, I would hope they would go back home and play just like this, and then make that seventh game pretty special. Who knows? I mean, I, the Suns. Uh, Chris Paul did not play well yesterday. Uh, I think the the mask and all the issues with the nose is not. It's not been easy on. On uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on on what's happening with them, but with Booker, but uh, I, I believe I, I'm hopeful that it'll go seven games, and then we'll see what happens. So it's it's been fun, fun to watch. Do you think anything has clicked with Paul George? I think because for me, uh, you know, shots are going in, but I, he's always been a premier player. So I'm not sure beyond shots going in that there's anything different. But from what you know of him and what you've seen, do you think otherwise? First of all, he's a really, really good defender. And nobody ever hardly ever talks about that. And his length, and, his, and he's a great defender in college. I mean, he became a better defender just through strength and conditioning and even when in college when he, he wasn't a great shooter. But, uh, you know, I, I think that he – I mean, I know the young man pretty well. And he, and he is a, a very kind, he's a great teammate. Guy, you know, he gets along well with his teammates. And, and and there's no one in, in the world. I mean, I would like to say, well, you know, they're not care. They don't care about that. They're not watching that. But you and I know that social media and all of those things going on. That these these guys are so connected to it, you know. And I'm I'm hopeful. I don't have the access to to him right now. But I would just say, please do not 
listen to talk radio. Please do not get on the Internet. Just focus in on yourself and uh, and be the best version of who you can be. And, I mean, guys are going to make mistakes. I mean, the two the two plays before he missed those two free throws were big-time baskets to put him in a position to win the game. But, uh, you know, and I get it. Everybody's going to focus on what happened at the end. You missed the free throws, and there you are. And you got to make you got to make those in those kind of situations if you be want, want to be one of the elites. And I and I do consider him to be one of the in the you know the top twenty players in the NBA. I mean he he's demonstrated that over a long period of time, nine or ten years. But uh, he's had some hiccups. I understand it. Tough on him. Tough on his old coach. But I I'm proud of what he does. Who he is and couldn't have been happier last night with uh, how he played. It just took over the game because he didn't play well in the first half. I mean, I, I, was, I, listening, I was listening to it on the radio, and it seemed like he was deferring. He didn't want to you know, jump into it. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, he's turning the ball over. He's deferring to other guys. He has to do it. He can't be afraid to fail here or they'll have no chance of winning. And, and certainly, you think, you think about that game and – how that thing started and they jumped out to a quick lead and, and uh, you know, and the Clippers were in a situation where they were going inside and I mean, they, they were playing well and I, I kept waiting for them to just kind of tide to turn and eventually the Suns would take over, the fans would take over, but it never happened. I mean, they took a short league, I think in the second half by a point or two, but wow. And, and Tyrone Lou, I mean, he has pushed all the right buttons. I mean, whether they're in a zone, whether they're in man-to-man, whatever they're doing, if, if people wondered if this guy could coach, I mean, I think a lot of people thought, well, he had, you know, he had LeBron James, he, you know, he had Kyrie Irving, you know, he had guys that didn't require great coaching to win an NBA championship. But I, I, I think he's done an amazing job coaching right now and made all the adjustments. And uh, to go in there and win, you, it, it's, it's not an easy place to win. It's a loud place. And... Uh, so I, I think Tyrone Lewis is, is to give, be given a lot of credit as well. Steve Cleveland joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. As impressive as the Game 5 win was, is it something they can replicate in Game 6 or 7? They had three guys really score it well, and they don't have that many options because they have so many guys out injured. Uh, so it's still the Suns, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the Suns are still in the position to win this thing. When you think about, uh, you know, the Clippers at home, uh, the first time, and you know, the game is uh, that that second game when it was eighty-four to eighty, and the Clippers go five for thirty-one at home. Uh, you would think at home they could they would play better, uh, but Morris was special, and Cousins. You know, they got fifteen points out of Cousins in very few minutes, and uh, I think that. I think the zone was ingenious. I think playing Cousins inside and, and attacking, especially backup guys that, uh, you know, when the big fellow wasn't inside there for, for Phoenix, uh, you know, those, those were big, big baskets. And Reggie Jackson doesn't seem to be afraid of anything. And really, when you think about it, uh, he, he had a huge second half as well, made big baskets. And then Paul just played well throughout the, you know, I mean, definitely the second half. First half, he didn't play great. Second half, he was unbelievable. So they believe they can go home. I mean, I would think that they'll go home and not be five to thirty-one from the three-point line, and because that's a game that they should have won. I mean, besides the two missed free throws, really being at home and and Paul going one for nine and Jackson going two for nine and them going five for thirty-one, uh, you know, and Phoenix still barely wins. So 
I, I, I feel like they'll go home. They'll shoot it better. I like the fact they're changing defenses uh, and, and not just doing the same thing and letting the Suns get in a routine. And, I mean, Chris Paul's going to have to play a lot better than he did uh, last night. And, uh, you know, I, I think for them to win there. But I, I think the Clippers win at home. Uh, and I think that the Suns have the advantage at home going back home just because these guys will have logged so many minutes and it's been a long process. I just, I just don't know if they can pull another one out of the rabbit out of the hat here. Uh, it seems unlikely that they could, but I, maybe it's just my, uh, prejudice towards the Clippers in the fact that I think they can go in at home. Right. Uh, they didn't play there very well last time. So I hope they'll play better. I hope that they'll be in a situation where there can be a seventh game. This has been a pretty amazing Clipper team when you consider most of it's been done. All most of this work's been done without Kawhi. Um, it, it's put the spotlight on Paul, which has, hasn't been great for him at times. But at the end of the day, when these guys look back, whatever happens here, going three series like this, being down two games, uh, there'll there'll be something to, to say. Hey, you know what? There were a lot of good things that happened here. We didn't get to the NBA Finals, but uh, we'll have to see. But they got they got to beat them home. They got to play a lot better at home than they did last time if they want to get into that seventh game. I continue to be surprised why the Suns don't go to eight and more. I don't think he has enough FGAs. Yeah, you know, uh, he, he does. He, he's, a, you know, he's, he's good in the pick and rolls, and obviously he's uh, – but he's not really a low-post guy. I mean, he just – I mean, he has a presence there. And when he runs the floor and, and when Booker comes off that thing and, and you know, the, the thing is the Clippers didn't give him many opportunities. I mean, they, they changed the defenses all the time and played it differently. And, and, and really – Aiton has played well in this series. Don't get me wrong; he played really well. I mean, everybody's focusing on the on the dunk at the end to win the game, but he's played really well. But I, I don't I don't think he's a significant low post. Give me the ball. Let's. I mean, the NBA didn't play that way. I mean, it's kind of like it's an afterthought. I mean, it's just like get out of the low post, let's pound it inside. They don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, they did it with Cousins a little bit at the end, and they put you know they they post Morris up more than anybody. It, well, they will pound it in, but the Clippers are one of the few teams that really kind of pound the ball inside. It, the NBA today is more about screening moles, more about spreading the floor, more about gapping, you know, and getting in situations where we can attack off the dribble. And, uh, you know, Aiden, for, for the Suns to get to the next level as well, and they could very well win the whole thing. But he, he's, he's been really good, and he's gotten better. He's only three years into the league. Uh, but at the end of the day, Maybe the system won't allow him to ever really be a low-post guy, but that, that hardly exists anymore in the NBA as far as the things that I've watched. It, it's true. It hardly exists, but it seems like when you've got a good big guy, you've got to find a way for him to consistently get touches and impose his will. I mean, you know from watching games that all baskets aren't created equal. Some just happen. Others change momentum and change the flow of the game. And kind of the physical but, dominance a big guy gives you is a positive. But how do you get that outside of, A, the pick and roll and the alley-oop and the easy bucket, or B, the post-up? I mean, isn't there, is there some other way to do that? You know, I was, I was listening to uh, some NBA analysts yesterday, and they were talking about this. And, and one, just as I was driving to, to Vegas, and it was, it was interesting talking about how the game has changed. But it's kind of like, when's the last time you saw an NBA coach quick hitters or special plays and do things out of timeouts and you know he was just and this is a guy that's been in the league for a long time he was Reggie and he was talking about 
you know, I'd, I'd like to see guys coming out of timeouts and running something where, where we go, we pound that thing inside or we run some action where we can get the ball in the paint. And when you think about it, when, when the Suns really made the run and Cousins went in, when he scores 15 points in a real quick period of time, it was all right around the rim. They were throwing the ball inside to him because he's a wide body. That, that's the game that he has. And, but, I, no, I completely agree. I mean, I think that's something that's missing. I think that, I mean, for me, you call a timeout for three minutes, you come out and run the same high pick and roll. But why would you not run something, a quick hitter? Why not run a, a specific set? Why not try to open the floor and pound it inside? And, and if you don't have a guy, then, then post up a guard. You know, post up whomever. I mean, every team's different. But I, I don't see that action anymore. And, and, and I think that it's missing, and I think people are missing out. I, I understand the flow of the game and all the things that happen. But when you've got a six seven or a six eight guard, I mean, like it's one of it's one of those things where you could run a little baseline flex cut and have the guy come off and get a quick post up, open the floor, and, and just pound it inside. I mean, there's so many different ways to get the ball in the post. And you're talking to a coach who, that in, in you know, during my lifetime of coaching, that's what we did. We tried to pound the thing in the paint. I I probably still got 25 special quick hitters that how to get how to get guys in the post and how to score and how to isolate people and and those kinds of things. But that's one thing as I watch the NBA. Uh, and listen, these are the, some of the greatest coaches. Well, they are the greatest coaches in the world. They're great coaches, and they have to manage and do a lot of things. But I, I don't see a lot of things happening coming out of timeout sometimes where I'm, I'm expecting them to run something and some action to get the ball to a specific guy, to get to the free-throw line, to stop the bleeding when they've gone six possessions in a row and they haven't scored. You don't, I don't see that a lot in the NBA. I just don't. And... Uh, and hey, listen, I mean, I have absolute respect for those guys and those coaches, but I think that's an element that's missing. And I think there is a place for throwing the ball in the post. And it doesn't have, if your post guy is, is skinny and, you know, not strong enough, then find a two guard, find a three man, find that isolation, uh, and, and go from there. So, yeah, I completely agree that Aiton could be a dominant player inside. You think about the summer, just working on low post stuff and, Figuring out three, you know, figure out three or four or five sets that are going to run during the course of the game. Work on that all summer so he comes in with confidence and he, he feels stronger and better about that. Developing him. I mean, he's a great player and he, man, he's playing good for a guy that's only been in the league three years. And I think he's really responded to Chris Paul and the coaching staff. But I, I think there's a next level for him if he can learn how to score in a block. What do you think is going to happen with Danny Ainge? Man, the very first moment I heard, and, and I, I know that Ryan and Danny are good friends, and I know that they, that they both have great respect for each other. I know nothing about that, but I will be shocked if Danny Ainge is not part of that. And uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, he's in Utah a lot, and uh, I know that at one point in time, uh, I know, and it would have made sense too, because they have family out here, and that uh, they'd have a place out here because they have children out here and they have grandkids out here. But, uh, you know, I don't. I don't think. I think his role will be different. But I think that, to me, it just seems from the outside looking in that that he's going to be a part of that that program. But I have no insight. You have, you all have way more inside information than I do. But it, it makes sense, especially because there is a really really strong relationship uh, between Ryan and Danny. It feels like everybody who has any connection to BYU, including parking services will tell you what you just said. Yep. 
I know. And you know, parking know. services connected. I don't want to. I don't want to take any shots at parking <laughs> services. I don't want more tickets. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I don't. I don't know. And, and you all, I, we've had, you know, we've had a couple conversations about Dennis Lindsay and and, and off the record, and, and and I knew that there seemed to be things that maybe weren't right there, and that changes take place. Sometimes it's good. You know, I happen to have a couple of experiences with Dennis. Uh, when I had gotten back from Indiana, when we served a mission out there, and I, I came by and wanted to talk to him, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And you know what? He was amazing with me. I mean, he didn't even take a minute with me. We had dinner together, went to a game, and uh, and just shared with me insights. So, uh, whatever the positives and negatives, I mean, the fact that he had, he had he made a mark there. I mean, obviously he hired Quinn. I mean, that was a pretty good move. He was involved in Donovan and. And Gobert and, and and them being there, so he did a lot of really good things. I realize there's personalities. I realize there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that nobody knows anything about. But I will say this about Dennis: with me, I mean, he treated me with great kindness. I had no idea who he was, and uh, I spent a couple hours with him, and uh, he gave me some really good insights. So uh, he's had a great I think He's been in the business 20 or 25 years. So I don't know what his next step is or what he's going to do, but. Uh, that it's just part of it. That's part of it. I mean, you make changes, and whether it's personality conflicts or whether it's a different vision, uh, who knows what it is. Change happens all the time, not just in the NBA, everywhere in coaching. And and uh, so, uh, hats off to him for all the good things he did there. Steve, we appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. You see you guys. Maybe I'll uh, come up and uh, say hello. I'll be I'll be in town for about seven or eight days. We'll catch up. All right, that'd be good. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jonathan Feigen, Houston Rockets writer for the Houston Chronicle. Changes in Houston. They're going to get back in the mix in the West, and how quickly. We'll talk with Jonathan coming up in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz. But the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA Draft to free agency and on to the Summer League, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK remind you of the top 60 and 60s back on the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah. We're counting you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. So what do you think, man? Ainge? I would hire him in a second. I assume he's going to be a consultant advisor. I would have I, I've assumed that for a he long wants, time. I would do it. I think that I think he just said it. I think it's hidden out there Steve, in the wide open. No, Dane, I think Ainge, Ainge did. Himself. When Ainge did the interview in Boston saying, I want to work, but I don't want to work a lot. And there aren't many people who want to pay you to not work a lot. And then they laugh uproariously. It was a funny line. It was well delivered. But I, but I don't know but how I, serious all, he was he, <clears throat> in the moment. Oh, I'm get, taking him at face value, and that could moment, be a mistake. that was a face valued statement, right. but that doesn't mean six months later that's the same feeling. That was after an 18-year run with Boston, wasn't right. it? And he was there for a long so time. If, okay, but I assume he's coming to board as a consultant. Now, 
in a year or three or five, I don't know, pick your time frame, could that change? Sure. People are allowed to change their plan for themselves as they go forward. And that happens for lots of reasons. And sometimes you want to work more and sometimes you want to work less. So that's fine. But right now, sitting here right now, when he says, I want to work because he's 62, I'm too young to retire, but I don't want to work a lot. It just screened me consultant. He said, there aren't a lot of people. I agree. But there's one guy you got a personal relationship with who owns an NBA team where you played college basketball, where you have kids and grandkids. Where I am. That's probably not a factor. Yet it's a fact. I've talked to him many times. I've talked to him on the phone. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a big factor then. And his his desire <laughs> to work with you, to change the stereotype of Utah and recruit athletes here and do radio. Sure, that could be a factor. No way. But it could be. I just think he's a smart basketball guy. So I don't really care what his job title is and whatever. Be involved when big decisions need to be made. Have a voice. I think he's a shrewd dude. Now, has he made every great move? No. But who does? Nobody does. Yeah. Jerry West has the best track record of our lifetimes, and we could sit here and list Jerry West's mistakes. So nobody. He chose Mike McGee over Larry Nance. Nobody gets them all right. It can't be done. It hasn't been done. Right. It won't be done. It's a batting average. Nobody hits 1,000. We celebrate Ted Williams for fit, hitting 400, and I don't know, whoever Tony else. Gwynn, for, Tony Brett. Gwynn for hitting 394, George Brett for whatever. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And that's what you have to do with people who judge personnel, and it doesn't matter if it's college or pro, it doesn't matter if it's football, basketball, or whatever. That's how it that works. That Jason Tatum move by Ainge was shrewd. That was that was big time. That was a great move. Yeah. I'm so, going to trade down and still get the best guy, because not only do I know who yeah. the best guy is, and that's a trick, but not only do I know who the best guy is, I know who they want, and they don't want the best guy. Right. So that was that was something. Yeah, but it can still go wrong. Chemistry matters, and and do the pieces fit together? I just think he's a shrewd basketball talent evaluator. I think that with Ainge and Sloan, and I don't know that they have any winner. I don't know they have any tie there, but it's like you don't get really bad. You're always pretty good, and I get it's frustrating when you go out in the second round of the playoffs and people are frustrated, and I get that one hundred percent. But there is something to be said for not being the team that wins a quarter or a third of its games. Because when you cover or root for or follow a team or play for a team that does that, it sucks. And sometimes you just have to go through it. The Jazz have gone through it a couple times. Right after stock them alone. They had a couple mediocre seasons. One of them was actually pretty exciting, the first one. But then they got all the big-time guys and had a 20-whatever win season and Boozer got hurt and blah, blah, blah. And when they tore it down, you know, there was a stretch that it wasn't fun. Four years, I think, right? Yeah. But then they got it going. I would love to see him aboard. I do think there are questions if he comes aboard of, you know, how much say does he have? How does the group, you know, consensus matters. And Um, people who are in the grind all the time, if they get overruled by advisors and consultants, and, and this is not unusual, Lots of teams have advisors and consultants, but how much weight do they have to throw around, and how do they choose to throw it around? Well, that's up to Ryan Smith. That matters. It is. You're right. He decides. Yeah. He gets to decide who gets to decide, basically. (laughs) Wait a minute. Say that again? He decides who gets to decide? Well, doesn't he? Yeah. He does. He does. That's the way it goes. So... 
So I assume that's going to happen. And I think that he could come on as a consultant right away. I think if, if, if Ainge is going to get back in it full time and be the guy after what he just said in Boston and did in Boston, I would assume that's still a little ways off. And I would uh, realistically don't think that's going to happen. I think they're in fine hands with Justin Zanuck and Quinn Snyder. I, I just don't think management is a problem. It's been too steady. Yeah, I think you got guys that they're not going to hit on everything, but they, they've, they've been around now for a good while. Quinn's going into his eighth year, right? Yeah, and that's a long time, man. And and Justin Zanuck's been through it, and you know there were some frayed feelings and all that stuff. I mean, that's normal. I, I I just don't think it's that big of a deal in terms of impacting negatively the franchise and from the fan perspective that's really all you care about so i don't see where the organization is weaker today than it was last week i don't don't see that at all and that's the bottom line from the fan perspective right you want to just keep going just win baby i think it's more than just win baby and you keep saying that you're not going to have the jailblazers here, and that's not going to work. So it isn't just one. And I don't think the jailblazers worked in Portland. I don't think you don't want the fans to be horrified. But within the parameters of normal pro sports behavior, winning's the thing. It is. And they want, and they want all the other stuff, but it's 80% of the puzzle. And the other yes, stuff matters. So they, people win. want to feel good about the players and the coach. Those are my guys. Yeah, I don't yeah. really know them, but if I did, I like them. I've got XYZ in common with them. They want to hear from them before and after games. And think, yeah, right, that's my guy. He's got a plan. I like the plan. Now I played in high school and we blah, 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 blah. Right. They want all that. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's uh, you know someone playing high school baseball and they want to hear from from Trout, mm-hmm. and they're going to get that here. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The Zone. The Rockets in a rebuild mode after a good long run. Jonathan Feigen joins us, Houston Rockets writer for the Houston Chronicle. That's next. Stay with us.